Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health-related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Guys, it's Marianne, dog mom, baker, true crime podcast maker, and I wanted to talk to you today about the case of Gail Sorensen. She is a woman who was brutally attacked in 1977 in Hutchison, Kansas. And there was a recent article put out about this case yesterday in the Wichita Eagle. And I wanted to take you with us on a little bit of an investigation we've been doing for almost a year. And as you guys know, one of the names you'll hear me say quite a bit is Mary Krupper. Mary Krupper was abducted from what police think from a grocery store here in Wichita, Kansas, and her strangled body was found a little bit away from that grocery store a few days later. And I continue to postulate that I don't think she was the only victim of this person. There was a man in a brown maverick who had continued to go through that grocery store that same night trying to abduct or pick up multiple women. It is the same man that store cameras had identified as following Mary Krupper through the store. This man was a, a age is kind of hard to ascertain, but we have composite drawing or a sketch of what people thought he had looked like. And he's wearing glasses. And all of this kind of comes around. And you're going to see what we're talking about. And unfortunately, at the time, we had BTK was very active in the community. And then we had the poet. I have not been shy in criticizing the Wichita Police Department or Lieutenant Bernie Drowowski. I believe the Mary Krupper case did not get the full attention from the Wichita Police Department because at the time, Lieutenant Drowski had created a friendship with Ruth Finley and her husband because she was quote unquote being stalked and terrorized by the poet. The poet turned out to be 
Ruth Finley. And she was basically weaving a story for attention somewhat. And I agree with our police chief at the time that there were victims in this case. And I believe Mary Krupper and her family was a victim, even though the district attorney's office did not think there was any reason to prosecute and this tortured soul had been hurt enough, I believe there was some very strong victims of this case because I believe Mary Krupper's family did not get the justice that they deserved because Lieutenant Drowalski was more focused on the poet case and distracted by BTK than finding out what happened to Mary Krupper. I don't believe what happened to Mary Krupper was a lone incident. And let's get into why. Now, I started researching incidences where women were abducted from grocery stores in the 70s. I don't think that's an MO for BTK, and it susses out that it wasn't. This was not related to Dennis Rader at all. But I believe there was a perpetrator who was stalking women in grocery stores. I believe this man drove the brown Maverick. Now, he could have ended up changing cars, but he couldn't change what he looked like. So in August of last year, I reached out to the Reno Sheriff's Department because I saw some similarities in Gail Sorensen's case. I reached out to them and I explained to them that I had a podcast and I also work with and look at cases on uncovered.com and I try to add cold cases so that we can increase visibility with them on uncovered.com. I'm a member of uncovered.com and I try to bring attention to cold cases. And I explained to them that I wanted to enter her information onto Uncovered.com to increase visibility and that I thought there were some similarities in this case. And I explained to them I couldn't find a lot of information on Gail Sorensen's case and asked them if they could shine any light, if they could assist me at all so that I could share information on this case and share it on social media. I received an email back from Darren or Darian. It's D-A-R-R-I-A-N. I wanna make sure I am giving this person their shout out. Darian Campbell from the Reno County Sheriff's Department. Their response was, okay, this case is not closed, but I don't know exactly what or where you are looking. Well, I'm looking in the newspapers. If you are just looking for open source documentation, i.e. newspapers, I don't know what is out there. When this case occurred, there was no internet and this case has not been published on anything I am aware of. That was their response. I returned with, I'm trying to put this case on the uncovered.com database so that we can increase awareness and hopefully put more information out there 
and find the perpetrator who did this. And I think that this perpetrator has committed multiple offenses. I said, we do this with contacts of law enforcement in mind. And we try to also keep these cases in the community's minds. A lot of the members of Uncovered are like myself. They have podcasts. They may have had investigative experience. Some of them are genealogists, retired investigators, private investigators. And of course, you have people who are from the citizen detective community. We utilize podcasts as a source to aid investigators to provide information on cold cases, providing tip lines, websites, and other information detectives might want on the cold on Uncovered site. I am including an example we have on Uncovered. Being from Wichita, I am familiar with Gail's case and I have a childhood friend as well who what has, excuse me, who has an unsolved case in Wichita. So I understand how hard it is on family and law enforcement when these cases go unsolved. We would like to provide a platform and do what we can to help. Again, I think this case was not his only crime. Kind regards, Marianne McCullough. Now, I never heard back from them. But then there was this article in the paper where it states, the Reno County Sheriff's Office is still searching for leads in a 1977 death of a woman. On February 11th, 1977, Gail A. Sorensen left for work to run some errands for her employer. Now, it doesn't state in that article who her employer was, so let me tell you. Her employer um, was Evergreen Manor Nursing Home. The errand she was running was to make a bank deposit. The bank deposit was between seventeen dollars to $1,800 in cash. She was on her way to the Hutchinson Bank. So let me just fill in that little gap they don't have in the article. She was also running a few other errands while she was out on her lunch break, but she never returns to work. Her coworkers, well, they become concerned and they notify her husband. Her husband knows this is not like her at all. So he reports her missing. Later on that evening, they find Gail's vehicle in the Dillon's parking lot. Dillon's is a big grocery store that we have in the Kansas area. Now, this Dillon's parking lot is located at 734 East 4th Street in Hutchison, Kansas. A witness comes forward later and states that she had seen that vehicle in the Dillon's parking lot, and she believes she saw Gail Sorensen from pictures. She states that she believes it was Gail, even though she didn't know Gail personally. But she observes that she saw a woman who looks like Gail sitting in the driver's seat of the vehicle, and a gentleman was standing outside of the driver's door, standing outside of the car, 
and he was kind of chatting with her and they were laughing and the passerby assumed that they must have known each other because they're chatting and they're laughing now this unknown man is described as being between 26 to 28 years of age about five foot ten to six feet tall and kind of shaggish brown hair about collar length and he's described as wearing glasses the glasses have kind of brownish colored lenses and he was also wearing a red stocking cap because of the weather so that's where they're ascertaining what his hair looked like because you know he had the red stocking cap with some brown hair underneath it which would make your hair look a little bit longer he also had a mustache and a goatee several days later they find gail Sorensen's body it was discovered southeast of hutchinson along the arkansas river her throat had been cut and she had been sexually assaulted now her death remains unsolved today there was a period of time when people had tried to link her death to btk it was investigated for some time that they were trying to link that case to btk even cnn's david mattingly had conducted an interview with one of the investigators and during that interview um, they discuss how they are investigating gail Sorensen's case to see if it had any links to btk and mattingly talks about the abduction and murder of gail Sorensen and how it was the latest in the growing list of cold cases and this is after dennis rader had been arrested and so they were looking at how many other cold cases could be related to dennis rader and gail Sorensen was one they also looked at wichita state student sherry baker who had been bound and stabbed in 1974 Linda Sean Casey, who had been bound and stabbed in 1985. And they, they started making a map of these suspected cases, and they started looking outside of the Wichita city limits, and that's why they started looking at Gale. But here's the thing. Serial killers have, they, they stick one of the things i had talked about on one of my TikToks is when forensic profilers are looking at serial killers serial killers are much like they follow the model of bees they go a little bit out and then they come back to the hive they don't venture very far out of their comfort zone they do that because they know how far they can go before they're going to get caught. That's why serial killers are able to perform as long as they are, or as long as they do, before getting caught. That's why they are able to blend in with society and commit the crimes they do. 
Even Candace DeLong, and I know a lot of you are probably familiar with her for Snapped, and she has her own show. She is a former FBI agent profiler, and she even stated most of the killings committed by a serial killer will be fairly tight in geographic areas where he or she is comfortable. And of course, that tends to be where they work or live. So the fact of Dennis Rader going outside of that area to Hutchison, Kansas would be really rare. And so Mattingly and Henderson, uh, which was one of the officers on the case, they had been going through the area where Gerald Sorensen had been found. And there is barbed wire around the area that was still there. It was there when Gail's body was found and it was still there. So you have to think it's a remote area and there's barbed wire there. And so it's an isolated crime scene. It's, it's in a wooded area and it's, it's a rough terrain. It's a secluded spot. And that suggests that the killer had to be familiar with the area. That the reason that was chosen is on the opposite side of the river of where her body was dumped or where the killer had, I, it's such a callous way to put it, but that's how they put it. But on the other side of the river from where her body was placed, is a police firing range for the police department and the sheriff's department to place the body in a secluded area. But if you're thinking of where Hutchison is, he went on the other side of the river because he wanted to stay away so he knew what's on the other side of that river. Whether we know that she had to have been taken from that parking lot, but her car was still found in the parking lot. The difference between that case and Mary Krepper's case is Mary Krepper was abducted in her own vehicle. But the other women who this gentleman had tried abducting from that same market, he was trying to get them to go into his vehicle. And it leads me to believe that he had decided, okay, this isn't working. Let me come up with a shtick of where I can just get into the vehicle with the woman. And from the fact that they were able to rule out Dennis Rader tells us that they do have DNA available for testing. Now, as we had stated, Mary Krepper had been strangled. Gail Sorensen's throat had been cut with a knife. So there are similarities and there are differences, but I think you'll understand a little bit more once I put out the sketches. So definitely check out our social media on that. And let me just wrap it up um, by just doing a brief synopsis of the case without the interjections of the similarities and the dissimilarities. But again, on February 11th, 1977, Gail Sorensen leaves for work to run the errands for her employer to make the bank deposit of $1,700 to $1,800, um, but she never returns. 
Somebody sees her in the Dillon's parking lot chatting with somebody, but they assume she must know them, but it's not verified whether or not she knows the person. When she doesn't return to work, her coworkers can contact her husband. Her husband files a missing persons report and people are out looking for her immediately. Her car is found still in the Dillon's parking lot. So whether it never left or not, not aware of that, but her car is found in the Dillon's parking lot. Several days later, somebody finds Sorensen's body in Southeast Hutchinson along the Arkansas River. Her throat had been slashed with a knife and she had been sexually assaulted. She also had a blow to the back of her head. Now, her death remains unsolved. Also, the money was no longer on her person. The bank deposit was no longer there, so she had been robbed as well. Now, if you have any information regarding the murder of Gail Sorensen, please contact Sean McClay or Detective Diana Scomal with the Reno County Sheriff's Office at 620-694-2735. If you wish to remain anonymous, you can call 620-694-2666 or 1-800-222-TIPS. Now again, according to the news report, she was hit in the back of the head and her throat was slit with a knife. Please remember, any of the additional information besides the facts of the case are purely speculation. It is basically our, as I've said before, my opinions, my podcast, but this is something we have been looking into. I generally, I just find that there were a lot of female abduction cases in the seventies from grocery stores around the southern Kansas area, and I just find that to be extremely odd. I don't find that to be coincidental. If you guys have any information, any ideas, please shoot me a DM. My thoughts and my DMs are always open. Thanks for listening.